Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Wrist Cheese Radio Podcast, your home for horological hot takes, taboo topics, and often unpopular watch opinions. I'm your host, Bordinky, and back after his hiatus with the vid is Mr. Schmidt. Schmitty, how are you feeling, bud? I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm doing okay now. Um, I am officially vid-free, so that's that's fine. Uh, still kind of going through the house a little bit. Uh, my daughter had gotten it. My wife had gotten it. But uh, they've basically been asymptomatic since then. Uh, my daughter finally tested negative uh, for, for COVID. That's, just, that's a good thing. And uh, my wife's still kind of lingering on a little bit, but she's, she's just fine. She's been basically asymptomatic the whole time. So everything is slowly getting back to normal, uh, at least in the household. But, uh, but yeah, how are things with you, my friend? Uh, fine, I guess. Up and down a little bit. Uh, first and foremost, or more importantly, I should say, is uh, I think everybody's very excited for tomorrow. It's the second birthday of the Hodinkee Travel Clock. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, so it's a big day for everybody. And it's uh, also it's also a special day, too. It is for you. If, if people paid attention to uh, when I was on Whiskey and Watches the, for the very first time, I uh, revealed what that day also is. <laughs> So for all of our listeners out there who are listening to this on Monday, just know our good boy, Mr. Brodinky, celebrated a birthday the same day as the Houdinki Travel Clock. Because why wouldn't the Houdinki Travel Clock drop on any other day than my birthday, July 23rd? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it just makes logical sense, right? A one in 365 shot, 366 in a they, leap year. They, honestly, bro, I think at this point it's because they wanted you to troll them. They wanted it bad, so did you gotta need, give it, you it, gotta give the people what they want. It was in twenty twenty. So did they did they think they needed to uplift the spirits of everybody a little bit? Yes, yes. Because to this day, I don't know anybody who's seen one. <laughs> that's that's actually a good point. I don't know if if, I, if I've ever even seen one either. So that's uh that's pretty crazy yeah. to think about. <laughs> Uh, so yeah that's exciting uh nothing else really going on just working a lot family stuff nothing too crazy yeah for this week uh schmitty wanted to do a little community outreach here (laughs) i had to Um, bring it back to the fans you know kind of kind of get back to our roots a little bit where we started yeah this is episode 40 big 4-0 actually we forgot to, to mention it is a milestone episode so that's pretty cool uh, congrats to everybody who stuck with us for 40 episodes. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, we really appreciate it, honestly. Didn't think it would ever happen, for sure. But uh, but thank you guys for hanging with us. Yeah, I kind of just woke up yesterday and I was like, holy crap, it's 40. We had 40 different topics and sat through 40 at least hours of content. Kind of wild. Kind of wild when you think about it. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, actually, uh, it should probably be happening if it didn't already happen. Uh, our bros over at Whiskey and Watches, I believe, are about to pass 100,000 downloads. So that's a pretty big milestone, too. Big congrats out to them. Yeah, shout out to you guys. I know but, you guys are right on the cusp. So if it, if it happens in the recording of this episode, my, my props to you guys. That's, that's a huge, huge achievement. Tremendous, tremendous. So this episode, we are going to be doing a little Q&A that Schmidt set up. He's been fielding questions over the past day. He's picked about 10 or 11 of them we'll see if we get to all of them they vary from serious to very not so serious and (laughs) (laughs) 
I guess we'll just take them in the order that they come in. Uh, starting off with number one, do you think there are any smaller brands that are on the verge of a big breakthrough in the markets? Now, I always have trouble gauging what people mean by smaller brands. Like I can think of brands that are just not big operations that are well-known that I feel like are making big steps, or yeah. do they mean a super micro, you know, something out of somebody's basement somewhere? I mean, why don't, why don't we give the people, since we don't know the definitive answer, why don't we give them an, uh, an example of both that we think maybe it w- would work? Or at, least, or at least we can talk about it, right? Sure. I mean, there's a couple that I always kind of go to, and one of them we've we've talked about plenty, and they might not even be considered a little brand anymore. And I think for, for one of them, I, I never know if it's fair or far or whatever it is. I think it's fair. But fair, yeah. They make some cool stuff. They're coming out with things often. They put out those those uh, colorful dive-looking watches you liked a lot recently. Yep. I've always liked a lot of their stuff. Their designs are really cool. They seem to be coming in at a pretty affordable price range. I know they, they can get up a little bit, but I guess that's fine. Um, but like that's an example of a brand that I consider to be smaller that has high potential. Um, another one for me would be Anordain. Yeah, that's a good one. I saw those in person at Windup, and I was – really kind of taken back I you know there was there were ones that stuck with me and ones that were kind of I don't want to say overrated but ones that didn't do it for me Anordain was cool they have really neat dials yeah the vitreous enamel dial that they do a buddy of mine had one I think it was a if my memory served me correctly I think it was a dark green vitreous enamel dial one of the first ones that they did and it was insane like it was just really beautiful very very cool and this was a this was a watch brand at that time this was a couple of years ago but at that time i had no idea about he showed it to me and i was like for a micro the finishing the dial execution especially because they do it all basically in house yeah that's awesome that's a very cool thing yeah they do cool colors they do cool textures and neat materials it was one watch that really stuck with me that brand and i remember them and they make everything in a pretty accessible size so for me those are brands that i think of when people say oh is, are there small-ish brands that can make a splash that's kind of what i think of. i i would have to agree with you on both of those examples i think fairer certainly is, is one that comes to mind for me too i love that brand we've talked about it at length as you mentioned um and they keep coming out with cool cool home runs and i think one of the best things about fair that i really do appreciate is they have their own design language they're not riffing anybody they're not copying anybody. They're not paying homage to anybody. They are their own brand. And yes, they may play with style conventions and colors and different things like that, but it is their own design language, and it always has been from the beginning. And I think that that's very, very cool. So kudos to them. Uh, another one that's kind of in that vein for me as well is Christopher Ward. I know some of the watch community either loves them or hates them. Yeah, but, I noticed that. But uh, for me, one of the things, if I'm looking at them objectively, I really do like the fact that Christopher Ward is doing a lot of stuff with in-house movement technology and development. They are coming out with a lot of their own stuff. It's proprietary to them, big power reserves, you know, skeletonized movements, cool materials, integrations into their products. I think that that is cool. Um, they're on that brand that's kind of you know teetering around that fairer price point as well, a little bit higher in some cases for some of the, the more in-house stuff. But I think you know, one of the things with that respective brand and why it's maybe not so much more of a, of a mainstay, um, not only in the watch community, but just in general, is just because they don't have any retail locations. 
They they sell strictly online. Yeah. So I think if you had those products sitting in showcases at you know local mom and pop jewelry stores around the world, I think that Christopher Ward would certainly be much more of a household name outside of the watch community. So I give them a lot of props. I like their designs. I I know a lot of people that have owned them over the years. Their products are great for for their price point. So uh, no complaints for me. And then I guess on a smaller level than that, I keep coming back to Vare for like a super affordable. I mean, they make stuff that goes down to like, I think hundred bucks. Yeah. In the like more quartz model types. Yeah. And you and the boys talked about that last week yeah. in my absence, you know, it was, uh, it was, that's a cool brand. And, and to hear how they felt about some of the other brands that were, that they've had experience with, um, to, to hear them talk about Vare in a positive light was, was pretty refreshing. I know you and I haven't really had a chance to go hands-on with them too much, but the products are, are well built. They're styled well, they're priced great. I think it's a pretty solid option. If you just need a, a kicker, you know, you need to watch the kind of beat around and, and not worry about it. I think it's a, a solid option. Yeah. And I will say my, my, my buddies are a, a tough mark. So nothing yeah, they're personal pretty critical for yeah, sure. <laughs> nothing personal for anybody out there who might've taken that the wrong way, but um, Hey, yeah, I mean, just, this is, this is the podcast for unpopular watch opinions. Okay? It is. It is. And you know what? It's all subjective, right? It's for taste. Everybody's got their own tastes. Everybody feels a certain way about things. There is not really a right or wrong in that regard. And, you know, some people did mention it, not that they complained about it, but they mentioned it to me. And I said, you know, after the whole discussion of the entire episode, it would have felt wrong to have taken that out anyway. So I I wouldn't have done that in the first place, but it, in the vein of the episode, it, it almost reinforced the idea that taste is subjective. You like what you like and not everybody's going to like the same things. And you just kind of have to roll with that. Yep, totally agree. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do we got in the next one? Uh, this one goes in the realm of not so serious. <laughs> <laughs> it's the old game. I'm going to call it F, Mary Kill. Okay. All right. Ben Clymer, Tim Masso, Max Booser. <laughs> it's such an eclectic group, too, which is so funny. Kind of a me. strange bunch. I can't lie to you. <laughs> when I saw this come across the feed or in our DMs, I was like, oh, this is going to be a little bit of a spicy one. Um, do you want to go first or you want me to take it? Uh, you take this one first. Okay. Um, I'm going to go F Max Booser. I'm going to go marry Ben Clymer because, you know, he's got all the, the oogles of money living in L.A. out there. Uh, and I'm going to say, you know, fortunately, kill Tim Masso. Not because I don't like Tim, but just because I wish he would take those Oakleys off his head. <laughs> Please. It's not a good look, brother. It's not. I love you to death. I love your content. You're one of the most educated watch resources in the world. And I don't think I've ever met anyone who could talk faster than you right now when you describe watches, Tim. But those Oakleys on the head, brother, are just not, they're not the look. So that's my pick. I don't know. What do you think, bro? Well, first and foremost, I want to recognize that we're not people who dodge questions like this. I know some people are either weirded out or they're like, I'm not going to tackle this one or I'm going to abstain. Yeah, it's not our style. Listen, you, you had the nerve to th throw it out there. I'm going to entertain you a little bit at least. I am going to go F Tim Masso because I enjoy his content. I think he does Ooh. a lot of good for this hobby. I think he brings a lot of people in. I like that he interacts with people. Uh, he has a platform to get people involved and I, I can't hate on that at all. 
I'm going to go kill Max because I just, I'm not going to lie. I just don't really vibe with much that he does. I know people are very big into it. I'm just not, it's not my thing. I've never been into that look. I, I really just don't pay attention. I guess it's just not in the realm of what I collect. And so I just, it's kind of a blind spot for me. Yeah, yeah That leaves, sure, sure. I'm going to be marrying Ben Clymer, which I think would astonish a lot of people. But let me put it to you this way, right? I think that like probably about 50% of the charm of my account in the first place is going to stem from sort of the branding of Hodinky, let's face it, right? So without Big Ben, I mean, what would I be? A bro to watch? Yeah. Right? So I guess by by some I mean, you could you could be you could be Brotello watches. <laughs> Fratello means I mean, brother, I mean, so that would get real interesting, right? <laughs> I mean, technically Fratello is is a is a translated word for brother, right? right? I mean, <laughs> that gets real interesting real fast. But so I guess in a, a strange twist, I'm already sort of uh, joined at the hip kind of loosely with him. Uh, so I guess that's how I'd roll with those three. Yeah. And I, and I think out of everybody, not that, that Tim or, or Max wouldn't be, but I think, I think Ben Clymer honestly is a guy I would really like to have a nice beer with. Just to sit, shoot the crap, and just talk watches with somebody who's an OG. And I hear he likes to golf now. So, hey. Ben, hit me up. Let's hit the links. Yeah, that's one thing I can't do, but uh, but I'll let you guys enjoy that yourselves in your little private time. <laughs> okay, number three. If Tudor goes full Metas, how close are they to catching Omega in y'all's opinion? We're gonna. This have the is same one answer. when I saw this, I, I was like, okay, how am I gonna answer this question? Um, this is a good one. I know who it's from. He's a longtime listener of the show. So shout out to you, my friend. You, you know who you are. Coincidentally, he's also the guy that won the Moon's Watch. I was going to um, say, he, he <laughs> has something that I, I might have given away. <laughs> so he has the Moon's Watch that, that he won in the giveaway. So a uh, very, very cool guy. But anyway, uh, to answer his question, I think I don't think this will ever happen for, for one major reason. Um, I was hoping over the last couple of years, and I know I've echoed this in the podcast before, you know, kind of what Tudor's direction is with regards to the Meta certification. You know, we saw we saw the Black Bay Ceramic came out and it was a big hit. Everyone loved the Meta certification, the $4,500 price points, ceramic, all this, this big stuff for Tudor. It was a big home run watch, but it was on the upper echelon of their price point, right? More expensive than your average watch. Then the FXD came out, no master chronometer movement. Then the Ranger comes out, no master chronometer movement. And then you start looking at these price points. The Ranger is what? Just, just north of $3,000 on the, on the steel bracelet? Yeah. For me, I don't think that Tudor is going to go full into Metas simply because they don't want to move the needle just yet on advancing price point. If they did, then the Ranger would have been sold at $3,500, $4,000. Right? they would have consistently started pushing up the level of cost. And they can't right now. Because what's the price point of the FXD? Isn't it around the, the $4,000 range? $3,900, something like that? Somewhere in there. And that's titanium, right? So that's, uh, that's a, a, a different material. And even then, you put that with Mentos, it would be higher, closer to the black-based ceramic. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a numbers game. 
with regards to price points and making sure that they're strategically positioning their products. Um, I don't think that they're ready to tackle Omega yet. Maybe that's a five to 10 year plan. But as of right now, at least from what I've seen, I would have thought that they would have already come full force with Metas, full force with their collection and just say, hey, this is the price one of tutors now. Live with it. But they haven't. So I don't think that they're really trying to do that. I think that they wanted to, to, to stir the pot and, and release something that, that was going to get people talking, which it certainly did when the Black Bay Ceramic came out. But I don't think that they're, that they're ready to go full force. First and foremost, let me say, as far as the Black Bay Ceramic goes, from the pictures, I think it probably looks a lot better than I thought it was going to, given the renders. And I don't can't remember who it is. Somebody's got it on the Brodinkian strap, have it stra uh, pink strap, and it looks. Yeah, I saw that. It nails it on that strap. So whoever that is, good job, man. It looks great. Uh, I reposted it a few times now. Can't remember who it is, but shout out to you. Anyway, um, yeah, for me, uh, I would say it gets them closer, but not close enough given their current lineup. I yeah. Again, I think the Ranger was a good move for them and move in the right direction. For me, they don't have the breadth of an offering to challenge yep. Omega for me. I think they need to clean up those dress models so badly. Yeah, yeah, I'm I, with I, you. I don't think they have a challenger for the Aquaterra. I don't think there's nothing outside of Black Bay. That's I mean, the that's other it. Part is, right? I mean, that's my, they're, my they're running behold, joke. <laughs> yeah, they're beholden to the Black Bay the same way that AP is beholden to the Royal Oak. Right? We've talked about this before. But to me, that's the, that's the other big thing. And, and I think you're getting to this, so I didn't, you know, I don't mean to cut you off, but you know, for me, until you can come up with something that's your own design that is not derivative of everything else that you're producing, you're still going to be behind. I mean, I mean, if you're trying to go dollars to donuts, I'm not saying you have to beat the Speedmaster, but I mean, I don't think the Black Bay Chronograph is standing up to that. Yeah, is the Baytona you know, really in that conversation? Right. I mean, I wouldn't put the Black Bay one for one up against the 300 meter, but at least you're in the same ballpark ish. Yeah. Right. You have nothing in the realm of the Speedmaster. You have nothing in the realm of the Aquaterra. I could go on and on. You you just don't have it. Constellation, et cetera, et cetera. You got a long way to go. I mean, hell, even I still think the the 57 chronographs they released this year are the sleeper hit of the year that nobody's talking about and they've got nothing like that yeah it's, those watches know, I mean, are beautiful you, in person, you got some gmts way. that i feel like omega could step it up on that's about it yeah and and honestly i've been saying that for years as well omega is one of their big deficiencies is the gmt we just don't have that compl complication they don't do it you know it's just not there so and you know i, I know that it, i know they've done Seamasters and stuff, but I mean, maybe it's time to to dream up a new model and just make it their GMT go to. You know, I've I've been saying it for years. A cool GMT would be the Globemaster. To do a Globemaster GMT, I think it would make sense. I mean, given the name as well, that does make a lot of sense. I mean, it's 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 kind of a perfect it's kind of a perfect you know low hanging fruit. It's a collection that that really isn't a big mover. You could spice it up with something cool like a GMT and you make a nice elegant GMT doesn't have to be, you know, that the Globemaster already right now for Omega is kind of a sporty dress watch leaning a little bit more to the dressy side. 
Yeah. Why not give it a little bit more of a purpose? And if you're looking at the aesthetics, I mean, the other version is the annual calendar, right? That's already got the four hands with the, the pointed indication annual calendar. Why not just make one of them a GMT hand and call it a day? I think that would be a cool watch. Makes and it would be outside of Speedmaster, outside of Seamaster, and it would be a very unexpected timepiece choice. All right. I think we did that. There you go. There's justice. my pitch, Omega. <laughs> if you ever hear this, <laughs> GMT Globemaster, please. The community will get it. I guarantee it. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. All right. On to number four, will you guys ever do a state of the collection video? And when you buy a watch, what makes it stay in the collection or what makes you want to flip it? I listen to every episode, parentheses, sometimes multiple times. And I'm not sure if you guys have done one of these. We have not done one of these. And part of that is because I really don't do any video. The other part of it is you've probably heard me talk about, I really don't like to discuss too much what I own. I mean, for A, I feel like I'm in a constant state of kind of fluidity where I'm always moving something, picking something up. I There are mainstays in my collection and then there are just like these outlying pieces that are kind of always in flux. So that right there, it almost makes it sort of like outdated immediately. But also yeah. just the fact that I don't like to tip my hand too much in the fact that I don't want to influence other people's buying habits. Like, yeah, yeah. I would I like to promote a lot of the watches that I have enjoyed the ownership experience of? Absolutely. Would I think people would enjoy them? Yes. Do I want to drum that up so that people are going after them? I mean, again, not saying that I have that much pull, but like, for example, um, watches espionage, right? One of my favorite accounts. Yep. A lot of people like him. Dude. He was posting that. I think it's an Arabic dial Seiko, not Arabic yeah. numeral, Arabic dial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people started buying it on Amazon and like because crazy. It's, it's got that dynamic pricing. All of a sudden, the price of it shot up like a hundred bucks, and he, and he was even, pointing he, even it out. he like reported on it that yeah. it like had a significant bump in price because people are buying it. So Amazon adjusts the price accordingly, right? Yep. So I mean, that kind of sucks. Not that I think I would pull that off or really generate that kind of hype around anything I own, but I don't want to mess it up for people who were looking at that and wanted to buy it in the first place, and other people are taking it because oh this dude says it's cool. I'm going to buy it. And then maybe they don't like it. You know, I'd rather yeah. just let it happen organically in that. Right. I don't know. I guess it's a strange take, but it's just sort of, the way no, I feel no, about it. no, but I, but I think, you know, and I've said this before you and I, we, we think a lot alike with how we do our collections. And, and for me, you know, there's a reason why I don't do social media. There's a reason why I don't have this presence is because I don't need to know. I don't need everyone to know what I have and what I don't have. You know, for me, it's a, it's a it's a creative outlet. We're here to talk about watches. We're going to talk about stuff that we find interesting, stuff that we that we have or we have collected or or we've moved on, and we're going to talk about current stuff that's coming out. Because you know, in many ways, you know, to echo Bro's point, I don't want to influence your opinion based on who I am. I'm just a voice on the internet, right? Go out there, find what you like, find what's special to you, what draws you into the community, into the industry, into what you want to own and go and get that. That's something that no matter what, we can't tell you to do. You just have to go and do it for yourself. And too often, and we've talked about this before as well, too often you see these people start these collections and it's the same 
cookie cutter pieces from every single person and every single media outlet that's reported on these watches. And at some point it was cool. And now it's like everyone's collections are the same. We want diversity. So for us, you know, one, it's really not that important to talk to because we spend way too much time talking about what watches we have or what we're wearing. But it's another way for you guys to, to, to take what we have, take what we've, we've talked about and, and, and go out and make your own informed decisions and opinions based on, on that information. You know, go, go find something that's special to you. That's what it's about. Yeah, and I think, I think that's just exactly it. You know, I think that's sort of what we push here is form your own opinions, make your own decisions, go with your own line of thinking. We're not out here to tell anybody what to think. In fact, I, for me, it's the exact opposite. I always tell people yep. to think what you want. And again, opinions are opinions. There, there are certain things that are undeniable facts, and then there are opinions. And I'm more in the camp of respecting opinions, even if I don't agree with them, because somebody has something to say on their own, as opposed to people who just parrot the same stuff. So yep. I guess that's the lesson here. Be, be your own person. Yeah, be unique. That's how we all got started. Nobody did it for us. You know, it's a little bit more challenging, a little bit more frustrating at times, making mistakes and having to, to live with that. But, you know, ultimately, I think you find out what really makes your collection your collection. And, and that's that's important. Nobody can take that away from you. Number five, how is it 2022 and watches still exist with less than 100 meters water resistance? specifically referencing our modern navitimers and speedies that are allergic to moisture. Is it truly an engineering limitation with no workarounds, parentheses, without substantially changing designs? Or is it a conscious decision made by brands to gatekeep water resistance, parentheses, similar to how brands gatekeep the quick micro-adjust clasps to dive watches only? This is a little bit of a loaded question. Um... And, and, and for me, I get it. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, apprehension about speed masters and Navitimers. I mean, our, our good buddy who also submitted a question from, from uh, one of the podcasts we did a, a few weeks ago, Expedition, you know, he was talking about how you wore his Speedmaster diving and <laughs> it got flooded with water. Well, it wasn't designed for diving first and foremost. So there's that. But regardless, you know, in most cases, these watches are going to be totally fine to handle water resistance even a hundred meters because the reality is that most of these watches are not going to fail unless some type of pressure is put against them. And typically with chronographs, it's the pushers. Now I can't speak for Breitling cause I've never owned a Navitimer, but I do own a Speedmaster, and I've gotten it wet. I've fully submerged it. There's been no issues. Um, now is that an outlier? I don't know, but I do know back in the 1960s when we were going to the moon, uh, one of NASA's requirements was that the watch had to be water resistant because the Apollo program splashed down into the ocean to retrieve the astronauts. So the watches had to be able to handle those situations as well. So they're designed for that. It's going to happen. Not to mention all modern Omegas are master chronometer certified, inclusive of the Speedmaster Professional, uh, which means that they're tested in water and in pressure uh, for water resistancy, which most brands don't do. So I can't speak about all brands, but I, you know, a lot of people are going to tell you in the industry, 100 meters is more than sufficient for water resistance, even 50 meters for certain watches. I mean, heck, Jason Heaton and Cole Pennington have done giant write-up articles about why screw-down crowns are not even necessary for dive watches. 
that many dive watches in the 1950s and 1960s didn't have those types of mechanisms and they worked just fine. So it's, I don't think it's like a super conspiracy theory that brands are trying to gatekeep water resistancy away from you. They don't want you to have it because they want you to buy other models. I just think it comes down to an aesthetic thing. Um, you know, with, with, you know, something like a Speedmaster or an Avatimer, you would drastically change the case profile, the integration of the crowns, things like that. There's, there's things to consider. A Speedmaster cannot have a screw down crown. It's a manual wine. So without having to completely re-engineer the, 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 the crown system with some type of decoupling mechanism to screw the crown in, uh, it would be very, very difficult to do that. So uh, not impossible, but certainly difficult. It doesn't need it. I do have somebody I talk to somewhat regularly, and he always brings up the same thing. He's super interested in the new Navitimer, particularly the kind of minty green dial with the yeah. white subdials. Mm -hmm. He's hung up on 30 meters water resistance. Now, first of all, I say, honestly, how often do you go in the water? I never, I don't really much. <laughs> like I go swimming never. maybe like 10 times in a year. And I'll be honest, most of the time, I, I usually wear something pretty cheap. I don't feel the need to wear an expensive watch in the water. Uh, and you're probably not picking up a Navitimer. You're picking up a tuna or an Arnie or something. It's yeah, usually one of my like that. court Seiko divers or something. Yeah. Like I, I just don't feel the need to even risk putting something even that has pretty good water resistance in the water. Um, but again, you, you don't have to bring your expensive watch. And if you like it that much and you're that over the moon with it, just buy it. And you, you don't, you know, it'll survive a hand washing. I don't think you have to worry about that. No. Um, you know, a quick submerge. I don't think you'll have to worry about too much about that either. Just, I mean, like I said, typically where it happens is people are uh, like, they dive into a pool and the pressure can actually from like from the watch hitting the water can push the pushers a little bit and allow water to get in. That's usually how it happens. But if you're like sitting in a pool and not moving around, like water's not going to jump out of the pool into your Navitimer. Like it's not going to happen. Right. It's not going to happen with a Speedmaster. It's not going to happen with, you know, some of these, you know, like some of the like Rado Captain Cooks, like when they did the 37 millimeter reissues, I don't think they had screw down crowns. They were just push pull crowns. Jason Heaton did like a whole diving story wearing this watch without a screw down crown and the it worked divers, just fine. He was the, the Seiko divers of the seventies don't have screw downs. No, because the pressure from the water is going to push it against the case anyway. And how super compressors worked as well. I mean, like there's different aspects of, of the design that wasn't necessary for that to happen. Most people are going to get caught up on the facts, the dimensions, and the specs. And it's in many ways a fool's errand because you're never going to push that watch to what the specs would command. There's no way that I'll ever do anything to my Speedmaster more than was tested during the certification of this watch for the Apollo program, period. So if I'm wearing it to my nine to five job and going in, in and out of airports and things like that, like, it's probably going to be just fine. If I get caught in a torrential rainstorm or I got to wash dishes at home, my watch is probably going to be fine. If I get into a garden hose sprinkler flight with my daughter, probably going to be fine. You're not going to kill it. I guarantee it. Now, the interesting part of what you just said goes back to last episode, right? If you're saying going into the water, you could put enough pressure to push one of the pushers down. My buddy Brian did say he thought all chronographs should be Destro. I think that would actually solve that because it would put the pushers on the opposite side. 
Yeah, potentially. So kudos to you, Brian, on that one. Um, the other part of this question is I just think water resistance is not a priority for a lot of brands, especially if we're not talking dive watches. Exactly. I don't think that they care that much because, again, we get a little wrapped up in the fact that we are enthusiasts and we make up a small, small percentage of the watch buying world, right? Exactly. We want to believe we are much bigger than we are. We are not. So not. <laughs> at the end of the day, a lot of people who buy these are, they say, oh, 30 meters, that's 90 feet ish. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Right. And they, they don't care. And half of them don't even know what water resistance is. They just assume things are waterproof because it's modern times, right? Your cell phone's water resistant. Why shouldn't your watch be? And, and right. I don't think they get caught up, caught up in it. And I don't think the brands put that much stake in it because of that. So that's where I think it stands. I don't think they really are doing anything on purpose. Everything has a function. I mean, you're not going to wear your Jaeger master control in the sauna. It, you bought that watch for a specific reason. It's a dress watch, right? So some of these watches, even though if there are sportier watches, I mean, to just pick a different watch to wear if you're going to use it in the water. Go buy a G-Shock for 50 bucks at Walmart. They do sell them. You don't need a you don't need a Mr. G or titanium version or gold plated metal bracelet version for fifteen hundred dollars. You can buy one from Walmart for fifty bucks to go get wet. Hot take. Number six. He says easy. Dream up three watches to add or trade up to, but must be something you could see yourself being able slash willing to buy one day. Ooh. <laughs> I should have thought about this question. Um, do you want to take it? Sure. Now I kept these pretty realistic because I thought that was the overall goal of this question. I obviously have said many times I would do dirty things for like a sudden speedy or a moonshine, but I don't think that's sort of the realism that they're talking about here. So I went with three watches that I like a lot. I've, I don't think I've mentioned any of these on the pod under watches. I particularly fancy, but I'm going to just let them rip because they're all in a little bit of that price range that's above where I usually buy. But like we said, he said you can condense down to these three or sort of build up to them. So I'm just going to let it rip. Uh, one watch I really enjoyed that I've, I don't think I've ever spoken about is the IWC Spitfire Chrono. Okay. Uh, especially after seeing all the awesome pilot watches in Top Gun. Mm. That's not where my love for this came from, but I was uh, my thirst was was palpable after that movie. Um, but I really, I like He's the design thirsty. of this watch. I really like it in bronze. I, it just has all the, the cool aesthetics of the, the Flieger chronograph and it's just a kick-ass watch. I mean, the, the Petronas, I think that's how you say it. Addition is pretty cool. I don't know if that's my jam with all the highlighted color on it, but I really like that the is, bronze That version. is a cool watch though. It's, it's a vibe, but it's not, is it like a 10 years if from now? I lived now in vibe. Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, just the overall vibe of this watch. I really like a lot. Uh, another watch I don't own that I would love to one day. Another chronograph is the Zenith El Primero. Mm. I have loved this since I started collecting watches, the three different color subdials, the the little hints of color everywhere on the hands and everything. This watch has like five or six different colors on the dial alone. And I'm talking about just the regular old Chronomaster. It's just an awesome watch. And I yeah, probably get, I believe, I believe they made a 38. I think that one would probably suit me best. I think that's the one Spence has, if I'm not mistaken. They they do. It's like a heritage version. It's going to be the smaller Chronomaster, I think. Um, and it's it's so thin. It's very it's a very beautiful design for sure. 
and obviously it's got all the historics. There's there's a lot that goes into it, and it's, it's an El Primero. I right. mean, it's I mean, that's Primero. all you have to say. It's, like it's a, an El Primero. One of the king, like, it's one of the Mount Rushmore of chronographs, right? If you had exactly, heads on it's like Mount a three twenty one from Omega, right? Like it, like there's a reason why Rolex used it in their Daytonas for so many years. It was that good of a movement. So that's a watch that has always tickled me, and I've I've never really ventured into, unfortunately. And then last but not least, um. I've never had a run in with a Diver 300 meter from Omega. And I, I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think I might just go with the green one. I might just be that guy. Oh, that green one is so good, though. The green one is really cool. And then the white dial is awesome, too. So can't really go wrong with either one of those. You know, it's a badass watch. It's over engineered Bond War one. What's not to like? Yeah. Oh, okay. So let me start out with one of mine. Um, I think you picked some really, really good ones. And now that you kind of went through them, I, I, I have some similar things that, you know, I'd like to add as well. Um, I've always been a big fan of, of the Panerai Submersible. Not necessarily uh, a fan one. of Panerai as a brand, but uh, the Panerai Submersible, specifically uh, one of their newer versions that came out within the last couple of years. It's got like a, I think they call it like a shark skin dial. Like it's kind of like a textured light gray with a blue bezel. Yes. That watch, it's so Panerai, but it's so not Panerai at the same time. Um, and, and being a diver, I just it just resonates with me. I mean, the thing looks like a freaking porthole. It's just a beast, um, a gorgeous watch. It's in-house now. I mean, it comes in great straps. I mean, it's, it's a really cool watch. Um, so I can certainly see myself owning one of those. It's just a, an amazing watch. Um, I've always really liked, I mean, you, you did say the IWC, so it's kind of hard for me to say, but just the normal big pilot chronograph is fine. Like the normal mm -hmm. chronograph for me from, from, from IWC is just a handsome looking watch, especially now that they are moving in house. I think it's a, it's a great design. Um, they've had a lot of fire colorways over the years. They came out with, I think a green one. There's certainly the blue, the classic black, any of those would be fine for me. It's just a good design. Yep. I love the way that that looks. And then uh, I'd say probably lastly, I got to throw an Omega in there. Um, I'm torn. There's two that I would really, really want to add. Uh, I would love to have a Ploprof added into my collection. And then a good buddy of mine who who's also listening to the podcast, um, he just recently got a ceramic Planet Ocean Deep Black. GMT. Okay. Which is such a boss watch. It's a very underrated one. It's a big guy, 45 and a half millimeters, although the specs do not suggest that it is 45. Um, but it's a very, very good looking version. And for me, if I was going to get one of those, um, they came out with a full matte cased version with blue accents that was different than the just the regular all black. That's the one that I would pick. That watch goes so hard. It is a very like military, you know, just diver, rugged, masculine aesthetic. I just, it's awesome. And it's a true diver's GMT. That's my biggest hang up personally with, with, with GMT watches is most brands will make it a three time zone GMT where the bezel rotates back and right. forth to track the third time zone. From a diving perspective, it is completely useless because you lose the functionality of your timing elapsed bezel. So for me, if I want to have a GMT, I want the regular time on the, the hands. I want an internal 24-hour bezel, and then I want a true diver's bezel on the outside. 
that is for me the perfect diving gym too. No, no 24 hour scale on the bezel. Number seven. I'm not sure whether you said this in your Ranger episode or my mind came up with the realization that this might be true. Due to Rolex, will Tudor always underperform to what they could produce? Love the pod from the UK. Shout out to the UK, though. Man, shout out to you guys. That's awesome. Um, man, it's cool that we have listeners from all over the world. I don't know, bro. What do you want to... I know we kind of touched on this on, on that episode. Ranger thing. So if you haven't listened to Ranger things, go back and, and give that a listen. But um, do you want to take this one, bro? I think it's a resounding yes. Me too. I think they give you most of what you want, but not all of what you want. And they will continue to not do that because again, not that a tutor is going to eat Rolex's market share, but you could bet your bottom dollar that if they came out with that tutor Submariner, it would have turned some heads and it would have and- took some people off that Rolex Submariner list. I guarantee it. And you could, you could say, no, no, Rolex is just a different animal. Sure. Okay. But at the end of the day, I think that you were never going to get a slim Pelagos, at least not the original version. You're going to get something with fixed lugs or something like that, you know, fixed spring bars. I think you're always going to get something close, but no cigar is sort of where they, they live. Yeah. At. And I'm not saying their watches are bad. I really enjoy most of their watches and I know I'm very critical of them because I, I see them. what they, I see what they can be. And yep. I'm believe it or not, a fan of theirs for all the grief I give them. I give Seiko the same grief promise. Same way but, with me and Omega. It's like I love love to hate them, you know. But it's, it's like just, it is what it is. Yeah, I, they're never going to give us those watches that we really, really desire. Again, this Ranger was a, a fine example. It's going to do very well. I know a lot of people are happy with it. I just feel like it, it's not the watch they could have given you, and that's that's fine if you don't agree. But I think they're just going to continue to do that. Yeah, I I I one hundred percent agree with that. I stand with that statement. I think that they're going always going to intentionally sandbag themselves, and. It's interesting for me because right now when you look at Tudor, I think I touched on this during the Ranger Things episode. I, I had heard through the rumor, uh, through the grapevine that Tudor's power reserve on most of their watches, they, they say 70 hours. But in actual Tudor trainings and people that I know who've attended these you know, meetings, you know, Tudor reps will tell them that they're actually over 80 hours. But they can't say that because Rolex's power reserves top out of 72. So how they market themselves, how they structure things, the technology that they're incorporating into their movements in many ways is superior to Rolex. I mean, look at the Black Bay Ceramic we just talked about that a little while ago. That is a fully master chronometer certified watch. Yep. The crown, its bigger brother doesn't even have that. If you take a giant magnet and you stick it to the back of a Submariner, you will stop the mechanism from running. You're going to magnetize the balance wheel in the escapement system, period. You can't do that to the, to the Black Bay Ceramic. That already in one watch is superior than the entirety of the Rolex collection. It's even more anti-magnetic than their quote-unquote anti-magnetic watches like the Milgauss and the Air King. Yep. So I think no matter what, marketing-wise, Tudor will always sandbag itself. It will never divulge exactly how good its technology is as an effort to not take away any type of notoriety from Rolex. But as I've mentioned before, I know bros echoed this as well. In many cases, when you buy a modern Tudor, you're getting a better watch than a modern Rolex. You're just not getting the cachet associated with it. And that's a hill I will die on for sure. 
Number eight, in the spirit of taboo topics and unpopular watch opinions, let's hear your, you discuss what the best, parentheses, maybe least worst is more appropriate. Mass market fashion watch. Okay. I'm talking MBMT, <laughs> Daniel Wellington, Vincero, et cetera. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't really even know too many fashion watches anymore. Well, here's my other thing is like Hermes and Louis Vuitton make watches. They're big fashion houses. I don't know if they fall into this category or not, but like they actually. They produce legit watches in, too. Yeah, yeah. They put some effort into them. So I don't know if that counts. Uh, also, like, I don't know. I don't know where a brand like like Spinnaker falls. I would still consider that kind of like a micro brand because it's yeah, not like a it's not like a. But to me, like Spinnaker is not a household name, right? It's not a household name outside of the watch community. Also, like Invicta, I would consider that part of this as well. You know, it's like I'll take an Invicta Pro over, I guess, over these other ones. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of you know dumb as it sounds if i had to pick one from this list it would probably be mvmt and the only reason why is because movado group now owns them and their watches are actually mechanical now a lot of them before they were just cheap you know mass-produced quartz disgusting watches um i would say out of this specific list it would probably be mvmt just because like i said they got mechanical movements um that said, if I had to pick outside this list, you know, I would probably pick Fossil just because it's got a soft spot, soft spot in my heart because that's really where I started watch collecting. That's what got me into, into watches. That's a good answer. I mean, I know that Fossil today is far removed from the Fossil that even I fell in love with and many people fell in love with in the mid-80s. Um, but I think that at least for me, for sure, fossil was certainly a gateway drug to, to the watch collection and collecting like in mass. It's like, I remember when I was there and I'd be like, all right, I get this one. I get this one. I get this one. And I seem to give like 10 fossils. Like, what am I going to do with all these watches? You know, but like, that was how you started to justify it. Like, yeah, I need a chronograph and I need a dress watch and I need a dive watch. And it was just kind of all these different versions. So for me, if I had to pick outside the list, it would certainly be Fossil. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to beat that. So I guess I'm just going to roll with the Invicta Pro Diver and call it a day. Hey, you know, hey, you know what? That vintage reissue that they did, the, the 1953 Pro Diver? Yeah. It looks like the, the Big Crown Submariner. Like, that's not a bad looking watch. It says Invicta on it, but arguably, arguably it's not a bad looking watch. I think it's like 39 millimeters or 38 millimeters. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Good looking watch. And I'm NH not sure if that a one, movement. I was going to say, I'm not sure if that one uses, but I know the other one uses yeah. an NH. Yeah, it's an NH35 for sure. Number nine. Question for the pod for each of you to answer. Mm. Now, strap in. This is a multi-tier questionnaire. You're leaving on a multi-week, multi-thousand mile road trip to hit the four corners of the U.S. Car camping, hotels, whatever you want. I want to know what vehicle you're taking, what one watch you're wearing, and what Hollywood actress you're invited along to ride shotgun. <laughs> and that comes from our good friend, Mr. Hollywood himself, Mr. Tom Place. Yes, yes, yes. Expedition. All right, I'll let you start off with this one. I thought that I wanted to have fun on my trip 
I want to keep it as fun as possible. And that was kind of the, the theme here of what I'm going with. So I thought something along the lines of like a Jeep Sahara could be cool. You take the doors off, take the top off. Solid choice, solid choice. Right? I mean, it's it's got sort of that, uh, like I know a kid who has one that kind of looks like a little military. So it's a fun ride. Uh, watch I'm wearing. Again, I'm not one to put my watches in great danger. <laughs> you and I differ there. But I do want to wear something I think that could travel. So I mean, I you do have to impress the lady too, right? Like that's I'm bro diggy. What do I have to do? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like, yeah, he's kind of right, right? Have you seen my meme collection? No, that's um, right. That's right. So I'm gonna go with one of the new uh, Seiko SSK GMTs. Okay, Seiko solid fibers. choice. I think that's I've got GMT functionality. I've got some water resistance. It still and, looks nice. Yeah, I think it's a good looking watch. You got a Jubilee bracelet. It's got it's got all, all the aesthetics of popular watches, so I don't think I'm gonna lose much there. Yeah. And if she wants to talk Seiko, I could give her a little history lesson and maybe bring her over to the dark side. I like it. Hollywood like actress. It. You know, I go back and forth on these so often. I mean, I, I I've mentioned my affinity for Scarlett Johansson before on here. I I bounce around a lot. I'm a big Sofia Vergara fan. Okay. I, you know what? Uh, I think my flavor of the week is uh, Lizzie Olsen plays Scarlet Witch. I think that's my pick. Okay. I'd have to Google I don't her. only I don't... go after Marvel girls, but she, she just happens. Oh, superheroes. Watch... Okay. Yeah. See, that's why I don't know. I, I'm not a big Marvel guy. So I like, happen to watch, watch uh, Doctor Strange watch 2 stuff. recently, and, and she's pretty heavy in it. But uh, she's okay. been in a few other things, that, too. Um, if you've ever seen, like, Old Boy, which is, like, a really out there crackhead movie um Mm-mm. she's in that she's in a bunch of stuff she's she's mary kate and ashley's other sister oh okay okay i got you okay i know who you're talking about yeah yeah so got you got you got you checks all the boxes for me uh so those yeah. are my three and that's what i'm going with okay well i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with something i want something that i have and then something also that i want um so for me if I'm going to be driving across the country, I'm going to be driving in a Toyota 4Runner TRD Pro. I love that vehicle. We talked about that. That's your zombie apocalypse. That's my zombie watch. apocalypse. Because I have a watch. normal 4Runner, but I don't have a TRD <laughs> Pro version. But I would drive that for sure. Uh, I'm going to take my Seamaster 300. I mean, this is modern times. It's not the end of days. I don't really need a GMT. We're just driving cross country. So it's very easy to change time zones on that. It's a diver watch. I've been hunting, camping, all kinds of stuff in that watch. No issues, especially on NATO. Exactly. And I'm bringing Mila Kunis. What was the last one? And I'm bringing Mila Kunis. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's cool. She's probably a lot of fun on a a road trip. I I think so, man. I just, you know, every time I see her and forgetting Sarah Marshall, I just imagine like that's who she is in real life. And just it comes across so genuine. I feel like that's true. And yes, I want that as long to be as she's true. Not that '70s show, Mila Kunis. No, 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 no. I think she's, I think she's forgetting Sarah Marshall, Mila Kunis. And, okay, and that's with, that's who I want. Because I think not, she'd be down. As long as it's not bathroom scene, Mila Kunis. Polaroid, Polaroid in the bathroom. Ah, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, I mean, that that hey. side could come out too, right? Yolo. Yeah, exactly right if you're gonna enjoy this just you and the girl in the car so let's go all right well thanks for that one tom that was a lot of fun number 10 do you think we as watch collectors underestimate the capabilities of our watches to legitimize buying more example i 
I think you meant to say I can't dive in my Rolex GMT yeah. since it's not a dive watch. I must buy a sub because that's a water specific watch. I feel like 95% of watches on the market can do almost 99% of things on a given day. But I hear a lot of people buying watches they don't need based on a lack of understanding how durable modern watches are. I mean, for me, this is kind of like a question that when I was reading it, I would just almost defer to Tom Place's Instagram page. <laughs> yeah, right. Because that guy's diving in all kinds of stuff that you probably shouldn't be diving in. Uh, I mean, I think he just took out a um, an Oaken Oscar. Like GMT, yeah. like like the other day, I was like, oh, all right, that's cool. I don't know if that's really a diving watch, but hey, you know what? It's going to go explore cold, frozen water diving. So I, I would say that that I think mentally we probably underestimate, you know, our watch collections. I think our watches are far more capable than, uh, than what, far more capable to do things and we give them credit for. Now, here's the caveat to that. We always assign these things as, as being expensive. So I think for a lot of people, they're concerned also about the wear and tear on their watches. Your watch can handle it. It just may look like it came out of a meat grinder after it's done. And that's a different aspect of the conversation. Because I look at Tom's watches on his Instagram page, and they're, they're beat up. Yep. That but that's because he wears, wears them. It's a tool for him. Now, the average collector is not going to be like, that's cool. He's like, I need to send this out for service and get it fixed because it's like broken, damaged. You know, It's been altered in some way. That's just not how Tom thinks about his watches. He's going to wear them. He's going to use them. I'm the same way. I don't overly destroy my watches in any way, but, but I do wear them for things that most people probably wouldn't wear their watches for because it's still a tool to me. But uh, I think you know most, most of our watches would survive anything that we're going to throw at them. It's just whether or not are we willing to damage them in that way or, or are we mentally willing to subject them to those types of conditions? What do you think, bro? Well, I think this is a very Tom heavy episode all of a sudden, <laughs> but, but <laughs> he's going to like that. Yeah. But, uh, it's pretty cool. You know, he, he kind of acknowledges that and he has sent his Panerai away to be DLC coded, you know, <laughs> <laughs> completely voiding. He owns it, man. That's what like, I love about whatever. it. And, and it was cool. It was good to see him at, at wind up with uh, a bunch of actually other wrist cheese radio alums, the Restorian brothers. Uh, if I, I guess I'll call them that. Um, and then just some other people that are, we're kind of familiar with, uh, submersible wrists and a whole host of other people. They were wind up Chicago, so that looked like a great time. Hoping to connect with everybody at wind up New York when that rolls around too. So that that ought to be great. But getting back to the question, I think we hundred percent underestimate the watches we own. I think unless you have sort of what my friend Luke was talking about, with like you have these Pateks that are like basically just dust proof that you don't yeah. want to expose to anything else. Most watches can handle like. The question said 99% of the stuff you throw at it, especially if you don't have an active lifestyle, especially if you're not doing a lot of things with, I don't know, MRI machines or putting your hand in water too often. I think you're fine. I, th I think most people kind of operate that way. I mean, I, I don't know too many people that are like, man, I really need a second watch to buffer my first watch usage. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think that's kind of how we wind up getting into this situation that we're in in the first place. But even my friend who who kind of harped on being the one watch guy last episode always kind of had that F91 for like the I'm going to bring this to Disneyland and I'll, I'll wear it and I could get sunblock all over it and knock into tourists and wear it on the teacup rod and not have to worry about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I do think most watches buy it and forget it and just drive it like you stole it. 
I, I think I think he nailed it. I think he answered his, his own question in the question. But uh, you know, I, I think unless you really have something so esoteric and valuable, and whether it's like a one of one or something out there, I would say just drive the doors off. Yeah, I'm with you. Last one. Last one. Thoughts on comparatively subtle gem set dials like the 40th anniversary <laughs> not a lie. Very very <laughs> nice pluralization there. Uh modern day dates, etc. So gem setting, factory style. For me, it's not my style, but I think if it's done in a in in the right way, I think it can be pretty cool. Um for you know I'm just going to to kind of open this up a little bit to to just even just like unique materials for dials, right? Like I'm not typically like your white mother of pearl, you know, diamond index day date kind of guy. I know that that rings true for a lot of people that are there into that kind of extra show of class and flash. Um, but, you know, I think about some watches like that, that new Oris we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the yes. with the light green mother of pearl. Like that's not a watch that I would have ever considered a viable combination for me to wear. But I saw that and I was like, I don't, I don't hate this. I, I think, I think it's pretty cool. Now, am I going to go out there and try to collect, you know, diamond indices, diamond, you know, baguette cut bezels and and sapphires and all? No, that's just not me. I'm a very low key person. I mean, you guys don't even know who I am in real life, which is which is by intention in many ways. But it, this is just another extension of that. I'm just it's just not my style. It's just not who I am. Is it something I'm going to pursue? Probably not. I'm not so much a gem guy. I like the stone motif a lot. Like a lot, a lot of those older stone dial Rolexes I'm into. See, that's cool. Yeah. If you're going to throw me a rainbow Daytona, I'll wear it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know. Again, I don't know if I would seek out something like that. And certainly not the aftermarket bust down style. It's really not yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, like, I mean, like you said, like I would go for like a, a mahogany dial day date or like a like a tiger's eye or lapis like that. That's yeah, 100%. cool to me. You know, like that's cool to me, but I'm not going to go bust down. I'm not going to go even for me, like a rainbow Daytona is. is, is well, can I just say, I think it it's looks, a hype watch, but it's not me. I think the overall look of it is really good. But have you ever seen just off of the bezel on the lugs? There are like little tiny diamonds. Yes. It looks like trash. Like you got to get rid of those Rolex. I'm sorry. That looks terrible. Like who thought that was a like, good idea. Diamonds. Yeah. Like get rid but of I don't those. know. It, I don't know if it's away all... from the whole look of the watch. I don't know if it's on all of the previous versions. Everyone I... I think I've ever seen has them. Again, I'm not a connoisseur of these. I'm never going to track one down. I don't go out of my way to find pictures of rainbow Daytonas, but all of the ones I've seen have these little tiny diamonds. See, I think I think the newer versions do, but I don't think that they always did. I don't know what they were thinking, man. It, it just it looks so bad. It looks like a yeah, big and ass it even kids it tool. even it even extends into the uh, like the crown guards and all that stuff too. It's not a good look. It really isn't. Yeah. And if the older ones don't have it, I mean, I guess I would go with that. By pro, uh, I have to. I'm double checking right now because I don't remember seeing them on, on the older versions. And then I started to see them on the more recent models where they, they do the little sprinkling, if you will. And I just don't, I don't think that it's, that looks good. But again, even for me, it's just like the rainbow Daytona is just like, ugh. 
Can I appreciate it? Absolutely. Is it a style that I would really want to get into? No, not at all. Like for what? And I think that's kind of where it is for me. Again, some of those stone dials actually have some very subtle gem setting on it. Like they'll have only like one or two indices on it and they'll be diamond, but it's super subtle. It's not, it's not in your face at all. Like, I think that looks really good. And I know some of the older like Surdy dials have them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Maybe they do all have the little sprinkling on them. Yeah, dude, it looks really bad. I, I hate it. I hate it so much. And honestly, like that's something that like ruins. Because I see, I see ones without them, but they look like they're uh, they're aftermarket bezels. So, yeah. Sorry, maybe I was mistaken. Yeah, looks like there's some like aftermarket, you know, watch customizers and and things like that. That, um. Have have modded some like steel versions of the Daytona with without them, but everything else looks like it has the the diamond lugs. Not good. Yikes! 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 But anyway, that uh, what are you gonna do? Yeah, that's my answer. But I think that just about wraps this one up. Uh, anything else on your end there, Schmidt? No, man. I think uh, I think this has uh, been a good episode. Hopefully, you know all of the guys that that submitted questions. Thank you for that. We got to as many as that we could squeeze out, uh, but we sincerely appreciate you sending the, the questions in. And uh, we, we really do appreciate the participation for episode 40. Um, we're climbing up shortly here to, to soon to be episode 50 and then uh, potentially episode 52, our, our one year mark. So crazy. Um, as, as to always, you know, all of our listeners out there, thank you guys for, for tuning in every single week. We really do appreciate it. Um, our cheese heads mean, mean the most to us. <laughs> So, uh, so thank you guys for taking the time to, to, to listen to the content that we produ- produce and, uh, we would not do it if it wasn't for y'all. So thank you. And happy Houdinki travel clock day. Happy Houdinki travel clock day. Happy bro dinky birthday. Um, you guys enjoy the rest of your Monday, your commute into work and to wherever you have to go. And, uh, thank you for tuning in. For- we'll catch you next time yep. on the Risk Cheese Radio care. podcast. Bye. Peace. Thank you.